0: This morning is our last sermon in our Bride series. We've been looking at the church and what it looks like for the Bride, us, this congregation, to be faithful and ready for the return of our groom. You realize that Christ came to the earth, right? Humbly came, purchased us with his blood, we are now his bride. We are now betrothed to him. We are now engaged to him. And we are awaiting our wedding day when he returns. I keep saying to myself, and there's a few others in this congregation, we'd like, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come. It's not just because I'm sick of the news, it's not because I'm just sick of this place. But there is something happening in my soul where I am just craving and longing for the fulfillment, the unity, the oneness of his presence. And yes, maybe this world and maybe the news is maybe drawing that out of me a little bit. But Paul's words to the church in Corinth I've told you I've I've shared these with you each week I'm going to share them with you again verse 1 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness do bear with me for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ right that the church would be ready presented in splendor like it says in Ephesians chapter 5 that Christ comes and he washes us with his word so that we might be presented to himself without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Week one, we talked about the word, being sold out to the word of God, faithful to the word of God. All the church, our our number one core value here at Mercy Hill Church is, is the integrity of the scriptures, that we will do our best to set all of the church on solely the scriptures. Where the Scriptures speak, we feel that we need to speak. Where the Scripture is silent, we will be silent. But where like the, the gospel and the Scriptures in all things set all of the church on solely the Scriptures, that the church is called to be ready to be presented to a groom, and that's going to come first and foremost by being faithful to the Word of God and allow the Spirit of God to wash that Word over us. Week two, we looked at accountability that comes through community, that there's this responsibility that we have one to another as a body, that there's this relationship that we're supposed to have. That's why we love community groups around here, to be known by people and to know other people and to take the gospel and what the Lord is doing in you and to press that into each other's lives, to bear with one another, to be accountable to shepherds, to elders that are to give, a, give an account over your soul. Week three, we looked at unity. Ephesians chapter four, where it says, be eager to maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace, and that coming largely by humility, that we would humble ourselves, that we would serve one another. Last week, we looked at ministry, ministry through service, and specifically serving one another in spiritual gifts, those gifts of grace that Paul describes. Those gifts of grace given by the Holy Spirit so that we might build each other up, build the body up, and ultimately, more beautifully, more purely, bring glory to Christ Jesus. Today we turn our attention to what many pastors call, what biblical scholars describe as, the Christian ethic or the Christian virtue of generosity. And I don't want this to seem like just another sermon on tithing or another sermon on money, but that there is truly something that happens in the life of believers when they come face-to-face with a living God. A living God who gave everything for us. When we come face-to-face with a God who gives and gives and gives, that there is something in that regeneration that happens that we then become generous givers, yes, of finances, but of so much more, of everything. Not just merely another sermon on tithing, but generosity touches uh, specifically our giving of our finances, but it's bigger. It's fuller than that. The church of Jesus, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, because of Christ, because of what Christ has done, because the Father has, gave the Son, and the Son gave himself. He gave his life a ransom for many, that his blood was poured out, that his blood was shed. He gave up his life and took upon himself our sin, took upon himself our shame, took upon himself our death, and in return gave us his life, gave us his righteousness. We as a church... The bride of Christ, a bride that is ready and waiting for his return, is supposed to be marked by that same love and service, and yes, that same generosity that he so lavishly poured out on us. That same nothing is mine mentality, but it's all been purchased by the blood of Christ for the glory of Jesus. That's the mentality of a believer. Is that our mentality this morning. So that's what today's sermon is about. So if you have your Bible, like I said, and, and maybe you've turned to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, let's read some familiar texts together. Chapter 9, starting in verse 6, it says, The point is this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. They, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift! Exclamation point. Let's pray. Father, I pray again this morning for humble hearts, God, mine included, God, that you would open our eyes to behold you, that we would have our eyes open to truly see you, to treasure you, to behold you, and no longer just be religious, dutiful legalists, but instead, God, delighted, extravagant, generous worshipers. So God, move in us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, sometimes I think we read the Bible all wrong. Maybe you're like this. Maybe you've done this. I've done this at different stages in my life, different, different times in my life. We have this incredible knack inability ability to read the Bible with us as the star and the beneficiary, and even sometimes the central figure. We have this incredible knack to read the scriptures and, and, and kind of treat it as this handbook mentality at times. I talk about this. Like... As I read it, like what do I get out of it? Or like I'm going through something in my life, and so I flip to it like it's this reference manual. Like, how, like, what what is gonna answer this in my life? Like, I'm struggling in this, now I need this answer, so this is gonna answer this for me. How does this apply to me? And we approach it through me colored lenses many times, and we try to discern first how it contributes to me and my life and my circumstances and my situations. Sometimes even we take some of the great stories of the Old Testament where we see some of the heroes of our faith and we read ourselves right into their shoes. You ever do that? Right? We read ourselves right into, and sometimes maybe you've even heard preachers do this. Right? These good-hearted Preachers, yet I believe oftentimes misled, like we, they want to help us apply the scriptures to our lives, to apply the scriptures to our living. And, and what we do is then we put ourselves in the hero role. Even like if you've done an inductive Bible study, scripture application is really important, right? You observe Like You read the scriptures, you observe what it says, right? then you interpret it, you find out what the context is, what that original writer had to say, and then you figure out how to apply it to our lives. But many times, we just jump right to that application. We go, okay, so now I read myself into this story, and I'm the central figure, I'm the hero in this story. The easiest one to point out is David and Goliath. I think this is the one, and I've heard many preachers talk about this, right? We're David and Goliath, and so I'm David, and Goliath is that giant. All those giants in my lives, those are all those things I struggle with. Maybe it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know our, our, that annoying co-worker at work, right? The guy a couple cubicles down, that, that's the giant in my life that just frustrates me. Or maybe it's my anxiety, maybe it's a sin that I struggle with. Right? I'm going to pick up this stone of faith and I'm going to sling it at that giant. I'm going to slay that giant today. But you're not David. Okay? I've seen this on coffee mugs, actually. I've seen this, like, on a coffee mug. Not you. Okay? Goliath isn't your annoying coworker. It's not your anxiety. It's not your struggle with sin. Goliath is the unbeatable foe. The foe that everyone is afraid of. It is sin. It is death. It is hell. It is the grave. And David is not us. David is Jesus. The one who conquers the unbeatable foe. So who are we in this story? We're the cowering Israelites. Who could never be Goliath. Like, and that's the case with so many stories in Scripture that we have just the uncanny ability to read ourselves into the hero role. And it's not true. Like, and if you were even, like, even dig into David, like, King David, man after God's own heart, right? Wrote all those wonderful psalms, pretty broken man, right? Most of us know his story. Adulterer, murderer, like, not a good dude. Not a good dude to emulate, except for... The whole after God's own heart part. Right? But he's still just the broken man. Still just the broken man. The story is full of broken men except for one broken man. Right? He's the hero. He's the hero of all the stories. He's the hero of all of it. He is the point, the main character in all of it. We have this uncanny ability to make the Bible, in all of its passages, all about us. We're not the main character. We need to stop reading it as a handbook. This concordance with you and your best life at the center of it. We're not the hero. We're not one image of the hero in Scripture is about me or about you. It's all about Jesus. So now that I've really discouraged you, knocked you down a little bit, there's even more. If you're in Christ Jesus... means that you're a believer. If you're a Christian in this room today, not only is the Bible not about you, but your own life is no longer about you. You're no longer the hero or the central figure to your own life. Think about that. Our own lives are not about us. And some of us need to really do some soul searching with this this morning. But now I'm a role player in his great redemption story. And my life is now this beautiful context for the sake of the gospel to live for him, to point to the hero, to point to the rescuer, to point to the one who loves me with an everlasting love. He called me out of darkness. He called me out of this world and into himself, into his light. And better yet, he's called all of us as a body to come together to be that light to the world. And he didn't just call us together in all of our brokenness. He didn't just call us together and say good luck. He then promised his Holy Spirit and got inside of us to fill us and empower us with his gifting so that we might be build each other up, that we might bring glory to Christ Jesus, not in just some gifts and talents, like we're just really good at a couple of things, but like supernaturally gifted us with his spirit so that we might build each other up for his glory. When we get this, God's love for us is meant to be reflecting of his great love. The love that we share together in this room then becomes reflective of his nature. God's mercy to us is meant to reveal his merciful nature. So then when we are merciful with one another, it reveals the glory of Christ. His demands for holiness in our lives is meant to reveal his perfect holy nature. And even his judgment is meant to show forth his justice. It all becomes about Jesus. And so the scriptural callings and commands that we see in Christianity are not meant to simply make us more prosperous or more secure or even more joyous and happy for that matter. As if that were the end. And again, we read scripture this way all the time. But those callings and demands that we see in the scriptures, that, that calling and those demands that are on the Christian walk, on the Christian life, are meant to delight in him, to behold him, to delight in him alone, and that his grace and his nature might be more fully realized, beautifully, fully revealed through us, his church, his bride. And so let's look again at our text, Second Corinthians chapter 9. Let's start in verse 6 again. It says this. Those first two verses, it says, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You ever heard these verses before? Sure you have. If you've been in church for any length of time, you get to a good giving sermon or a good tithe sermon, you're probably going to hear these verses. These verses. And again, if we read these passages with us at the center, what this then becomes is, is we make it all about me and my benefits. All right, we know that this passage is quoted often and promoted often because we can make it about our benefits. It becomes the Christian investment plan. You don't want little blessings, do you? You want bounty, you want big blessings. You don't want little harvest. You want big harvest. So if you want big harvest, if you want more, if you want more, if you want more, then you better give more. We can read ourselves right into the middle of this thing. If we give bountifully, it's just a fancy word for generously. Give cheerfully, right? Not reluctantly, not compulsively. And yes, like, Please don't misunderstand me. The principle of sowing and reaping is real and applicable right here, right here for us. And I don't want to pretend that it's not. But I do want us to get this right. I don't give. We don't give so that we get. I don't give more so I'll get more. And this is what it comes down to, is coming face to face with Jesus, beholding him, cherishing him, delighting in him. Because if we do, we give, and we give bountifully, we give generously, because he gave everything for us. When you see and behold Christ, and all that he has done for you, when you come face to face with the gospel truth, I am willing and happily giving because he has given everything for me, and he is my treasure. I give cheerfully because he is my delight that there is nothing of more valuable that it's that field right it's that treasure in a field and so I sell everything I have to buy that field because he is the surpassing worth Philippians 3 verse 8 indeed I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my lord for his sake For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as garbage. I count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. I'm going to talk more about righteousness in a few minutes. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. So our giving, and our giving generously, our giving gladly with cheerful hearts, is a not, it's, it's not about me getting. It's about reflective living. It's about glory living. Again, we give generously because he gave everything. We give cheerfully because he is my joy and my delight and my greatest treasure. Let's read our text once again. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. That's us, by the way. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Our text today went from us, from our giving, from our sowing, from our investing in the church and ultimately the kingdom of God to now it goes to God. Verse 8, you see that he makes all grace abound to you. Who makes grace abound? He makes grace abound. He is all-sufficient in all things, at all times. Did you notice that? I love it. He is sufficient in all things, at all times. Verse 9, he has distributed freely. Verse 9, he has given to the poor, and his righteousness endures forever. He supplies seed to the sower he supplies bread for food. In fact, he even multiplies our seed for sowing. Did you get that? He multiplies the seed for sowing. And by that sowing, that investment, that giving, he increased the reaping. He increased the harvest of what? Of righteousness. He increases the harvest of our righteousness because of our generosity. We invest we give generously and cheerfully because we've beheld Christ, because we've seen him, because we treasure him. We give, and he gives more to give. And it produces in us a harvest of righteousness. This whole context of this passage, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth that he's, he's commending them on some gifts that they're giving, like actual financial gifts that they are giving. If you go back a couple of verses than what we read this morning, Like, it baffles me. It baffles me that this is about giving. It's about giving of finances, but yet they're sowing something that is so material and they're reaping something that is so eternal like righteousness. And I think it's because, and we'll talk about this a little later, there's a big connection between our hearts and our treasure and our money. It just is. What allows us to give like this? What allows us to give generously and not under compulsion, but yet cheerfully? And I think it's this, and this is something that's been ringing in my heart for weeks now. I think it's when we're convinced that God is so, so, so good. Being convinced that God is so good, that he is the great giver, that he is the great supplier, that he is the great need meter. Years ago, I came across a passage uh, by John Piper that that really impacted my view of giving and and my view of God overall, my view of him overall. I'm going to read an excerpt from, from this passage. It says this, What makes the difference then between the sparing giver and the bountiful giver is their relationship to God. For one, he is an incessant, demanding, draining taker. Okay, so for one, he is this incessant, demanding, draining taker. For the other, he is an inexhaustible giver. How do you view God this morning? He goes on to say The one feels that if God is draining me, then what joy can I have if I don't drain the world? If life is being sucked out by a demanding God, then I must suck in whatever pleasure I can from this world. Oh, moral pleasures to be sure, nothing terrible. God is a demander, but our basic disposition is still one of taking, keeping, sparing, because God is always taking, always demanding. He is the great taker. But for the other person described in this text... The flow goes all in the other direction. God is the great giver, the fountain, Father flowing in with ever-replenishing blessing and grace and hope. And so what this person feels when he looks at the needs of the world is a free, internal impulse to give and to share. And this impulse is called love or grace Love is simply vertical grace bent outward towards people. This morning I ask again, what is your view of our God? Is he that great taker? Or is he the great giver in your life? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and let's look in verse 10. It now shifts pretty heavily to our God and hopefully we'll see him for the great giver that he is. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That was him, right? Now notice that it switches back to us a little bit here. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce what? Thanksgiving to God. It produces worship. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many what? Thanksgivings to God. So like the sowing of the church in Corinth here, right? It's meeting the needs of the saints. They're actually meeting physical needs, right? Keeping the lights on. Okay, probably not keeping the lights on. They didn't have electricity then. But you know, you know what I'm saying. Paying bills, meeting needs, food, clothing, shelter, whatever it was, meeting needs, actual needs. But then it produced what? Thanksgivings to God. Worship and glory of our God. Verse 13, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. I love this text. Verse 11 it says, You will be enriched in every way. How many ways? Every way. To be generous in how many ways? Every way. Producing what? Thanksgiving to God. By supplying, we will supply not only the needs of the saints, the needs of the church, but what else? It will overflow in many thanksgivings to God. Again, I love how this faithful church, these faithful saints, in their need meeting, in their generosity, what was produced in here was worship, that they worshiped God in their generosity, and it caused others to worship God. Verse 13 again, it says, by their approval of this service, they will, worship, they will excuse me, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others, while they long for you and pray for you. because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. God, help us to know how gracious you are. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. See, money and giving are a big deal. Generosity in the hearts and lives of the church is a big deal. As I alluded to earlier, there's a deep and undeniable tie to our giving our treasure, in our heart. You read it in Matthew chapter 6, in Jesus' words. The thing about it is, is God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our money. I remember in our study of the book of Acts, um, I wasn't preaching super regularly back then, but I was able to preach a few sermons, and one of them is out of Acts chapter 17. I believe it's Paul at Mars Hill, and he's preaching to the the folks there in, in Athens. And he's, and he's talking about God, this this God, this unknown this unknown uh, essentially image that they had set up to this unknown God, and he's like telling them all about Jesus, telling them all about God, like the Creator God, and 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 it, and in there he says that that he doesn't dwell in temples made by hands, and he's not served by by hand like hands as if he needs anything. That he is completely self-sufficient. That he is completely uh, capable. He doesn't need our finances, but what he wants is our hearts. And the scriptures tell us that those two things are more connected than what we want to admit. There's a severe nature of our hearts and money. So much so that in Matthew chapter 19, you know the story, it is so hard for a rich man to enter heaven, it's the same as a camel trying to get through the eye of a needle. That's pretty hard. I, could, I, I, had to fix, I had to fix some clothes. I'm not much of a sewer, but I had, to, I, I had a hard time getting the thread through a needle. Anybody? Eyes failing them these days? You're going to see me up here with readers before you know it. It is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven like a camel going through the eye of a needle. I want, like, I hate to break it to you, but we're rich. You look at the world, we're rich. There used to be a website called the World's Rich List. You could punch in your annual income, and it would put rank you in the world like, and even like modest Wisconsin standards, you punch it in there, and we were in the top 1% of the world. It's sobering. It's sobering. So, this talk of generosity, this talk of our heart, again, not just our finances, but our heart of generosity, is deeply important. This isn't just like to try to hoorah us up into giving more because there was a deficit last year or anything like that. But really, like, God needs our hearts. And let's not deceive ourselves. Let's not deceive ourselves. He wants every bit of us. Every portion of us has been purchased by the blood of Christ. Every bit of us has been claimed by him to be sown for his glory. Every bit of us. I read one pastor this week say that Christian generosity is the expected outcome of a regenerated life. That generosity should be something like, I know we've all met people that are really generous. Some of us probably struggle with that a little bit to a certain degree. This pastor was saying like, Christian generosity should be an expected outcome of somebody who's been regenerated, an expected virtue of the Christian walk. Because once you've beheld Christ Jesus, once you've seen him, like truly seen him, that he is our treasure that he is the surpassing worth, that my delight is in him and in him alone. Once we've seen the infinite worth of his good news, everything becomes his. I lavishly and generously and cheerfully give it back to him because there is nothing, nothing, nothing I could do to repay him. Everything is his. Everything belongs to him because he has been so, so, so good to me. This morning, is he your treasure as the band comes? Is he your supplier? Is he your great giver? Is is he the center of your life and worthy of worshipful, extravagant generosity? He's given you everything. Have you delighted in him? If he has, then please sow generously. Sow your seed generously for the sake of the gospel. Sow your seed cheerfully because you delight in him. And what's beautiful about it is we will reap a great harvest of righteousness. Praise be to God. Let's pray, and then we'll stand and we'll sing. Father, again, we thank you for your words. I thank you for this church. I thank you for calling us together and making us yours. God, I ask that you would continue to be glorified in us, that we would give as worship unto you, God, if we have been holding back or if we've been stingy in our giving or if we've just even been legalistic about it, just maybe robotic about it, God, I pray that you'd move our hearts again today. We would see the surpassing worth of you, how you are the great supplier, the great giver. God, that we would just be so overwhelmed with your goodness. God, that we would generously and cheerfully give it all back to you. God, for those in this room that are struggling with this today, God, I just pray that you would soften hearts That by your spirit and by your word, God, that you'd move in them in a big way. God, that we would be worshipers of you and everything we give, whether it's our time or any of our resources, the way that we are hospitable with one another, the way that we open our homes to one another, God, that that would all be bathed in generosity because of you. God, the way we give in our finances, God, that it would just be beautifully, bountiful, generous, God, because of you. God, the way we give of our time and serve each other, God, that it would just be full of the goodness of you. God, that we wouldn't be at the center of any of this, but God, that we would place you smack dab in the middle of our stories. At these lives, these resources, they've been given, God, so that we can reflect you. Your generous heart, your generous nature, your character so that the world might see and know who you are thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time. Continue to move in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.